Salo Falava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up, Typhoon Mawa intensifies to Category 4. Guam and the Northern Marianas brace for the worst. Also, one of the things that we try to highlight to them is we don't need more loans. We need things fixed. Pacific leaders come away from their meetings in PNG with hope. And later on, one of the main things that people come to Fiji for is the nightlife that we have. Fiji's nightclub owners say early closing times will hit the country's pockets. People in Guam are bracing for the worst typhoon the island has experienced in the last two decades, with Moa becoming a Category 4 storm this afternoon. It's located about 300 kilometres southeast to Guam. Caleb Fotheringham has more. Tropical storm force winds are expected to arrive between 8 to 10 p.m. this evening, local time in Guam, with the worst conditions arriving around 2 p.m. tomorrow, with sustained wind speeds reaching 225 kilometres per hour. The eye of the storm is tracking to pass just below Guam. National Weather Service lead meteorologist in Guam, Kenneth Clashelty, says Mawa could still become a super typhoon, with sustained maximum wind speeds surpassing 241 kilometres an hour. Right now, we're looking at high in Category 4, but it could get into Category 5. We're not expecting Category 5 right now, but it's not out of possibilities. Mr. Kalashalti says Mawa was moving slowly and typhoon force winds could remain for up to 12 hours in Guam. Brandon Idolit, also from the Weather Service, advised residents to stock up and for those living in light material housing to move to emergency shelter in a briefing this morning. Mawa continues to intensify. This is becoming a very grim situation for uh, Guam as we move forward over the next 24 to 36 hours. Preparations are also underway in the northern Mariana Islands, with Rota also expected to feel some impacts. RNZ Pacific correspondent Mark Rabagal in the northern Mariana Islands says preparations were underway early because the memory of previous typhoons was still fresh. Everyone was really preparing for the coming of Mawar. Even two or three days before Typhoon Condition 2 was declared, all the groceries were full. One grocery store even said that they had sales of 26000 for just one day because people were just stocking up on all the necessities. Mr. Rabagal says the system was originally tracking for Rota before changing course. Over the course of 24 hours on Monday this week, leaders from 17 Pacific countries met with the United States and India in Papua New Guinea's capital, Port Moresby. There are many side talks, press stand-ups, security checks and announcements, but the one that has been at the fore was a security pact signed between the host PNG and the United States. Lydia Lewis travelled with the New Zealand Prime Minister's delegation to Port Moresby. 17 Pacific leaders and representatives were welcomed wholeheartedly to PNG by the military. And the local school kids. But all eyes were on the hosts, PNG, as they put pen to paper on a 15-year defence pact with the US. 
Marapa adamant the agreement is constitutional and will benefit the country. And I just want to encourage our people, please don't be, don't, don't think that something suspicious or funny is behind this because of work over many years that has culminated over into a six month of robust conversation between what must be and Marape adamant the agreement is constitutional and will benefit the country. All this while university students across the country protested, calling for more transparency. No need to look at us. We are not different, and you guys are not different. We all are one. We all are fucking citizens of this country. Vanuatu Prime Minister Ishmael Kalsakal says when Pacific nations sign agreements like the one PNG has, it is a sovereign country actioning how it sees best fit to develop horizons for their people. A country like Vanuatu, we would like to be entertained by countries who are interested in the plight of our people and what's happening domestically in our countries. And the decisions to help countries like Vanuatu shouldn't be influenced by where we should be sitting on which side of the fence. Prime Minister of Samoa, Fiamme Naomi Mata'afa, is not concerned about the US PNG Defence Pact. The leaders are making the point. We're not prioritising, you know, this security thing about, you know, military presence and so forth. And when it comes to the questions around the militarisation of the Pacific, this was her response. Our security is about development, livelihoods, quality of life, you know, coming through. I mean, everyone had COVID, but we know that the real health pandemic in the Pacific is you know, non-communicable diseases. You know, and it speaks to poverty, it speaks to lack of development, opportunities for growth. So that's our security. Australia's Minister for International Development and the Pacific, Pat Conroy, was not concerned. The details of the DCA have not been made public yet. It's an extension of their 1989 Status of Forces Agreement, so uh, we'll see what that comes forward. I'm very pleased that the US is continuing its engagement in the Pacific, and I welcome the cooperation between PNG and the United States. New Zealand Prime Minister Chris Hipkins was beating the same drum. It's engagement. It's, I think engagement with the United States is seen as a very positive thing. Countries, of course, will have their own positions and their own views on what level of engagement they want to have with the US. But overall, I think the fact that the US are here, that they are engaging, is something that, that I have heard positive reflections on. And I think um, there's an appetite amongst the Pacific for more deeper and meaningful engagement with the United States. But while the world focused on the security agreement and questioned the militarisation of the Pacific, inside the sanctuary of APEC House overlooking the ocean, Pacific leaders discussed the region's biggest existential threat, and it was not militarisation nor the Defence Pact. Highlighting the importance of climate change, whether it's the United States, which is the biggest emitter, or now, now the second biggest emitter, and then there's India that's coming up. Both countries need to understand that the Pacific is contributing the least but suffering the most. And I think both want to be engaged. They understand the issues of climate change. Palau President Surangal Whips Jr. says having high-level leadership from both the United States and India gives the Pacific hope. But he says both nations need to change the way they deal with the region. One of the things that we try to highlight to them is, you know, we don't need more loans. We need things fixed. We need you to increase your ambition. Whether it's building renewables, it's 
it's, it's, it's getting away from carbon. That's, that's, that's what we need from you. And he reminded them. We just don't want to hear. Uh, we want action. This ended the second U.S. Pacific Islands summit, with the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, officially inviting all the leaders back to Washington for a third summit to be held in the fall. A New Zealand charity that provides Pacific people with cardiac pacemakers needs your help. PIPS, or the Pacific Islands Pacemaker Service, sends teams to Fiji for a brief spell a couple of times a year, where they fit the life-maintaining devices. Don Wiseman spoke with spokesperson Fiona Riddell about the work. PIPS is just an organisation of volunteers, predominantly from within New Zealand, but we've got some members from Australia and from within Fiji, that we established in 2018 just to coordinate the work that we were running in the Pacific Islands with regards to pacemaker services. Our membership consists of cardiologists, nurses and cardiac physiologists, and we're collaborating with other um, foundations. And the idea is just to coordinate the work, to plan the work, and to foster um, local expertise in the countries that we're working in. Are you exclusively providing pacemakers, is that it? It is exclusively pacemakers, that is our speciality. So you go into Pacific countries and you fit a pacemaker, is that, how complicated is that? We're not fitting or implanting pacemakers in all um, Pacific Island countries. But it is a specialist procedure that requires a particular specialist knowledge that's attained by a small group of cardiologists who specialise in this. Implanted in a sterile operating theatre, usually in a cardiac catheter lab, as we call it, under very sterile situations. Does the patient have to be anaesthetised? No, the patient's just generally sedated. They're, they're kept comfortable, but it's a local anaesthetic. It's not a general anaesthetic for the operation. We established PIPs in 2018, but in fact we've been providing this service to Fiji since 2001. And I guess in that period of time you've fitted hundreds of pacemakers. We have definitely fitted hundreds of pacemakers and replaced pacemakers as well because a pacemaker won't last the lifetime of a patient. So the pacemaker needs to be checked with specialist equipment and then we plan the timing of the replacement and then operate to replace the pacemaker. So both the first operation saves the patient's life and then the replacement of the pacemaker battery also saves their life. How much demand is there? The demand is really undermet in these Pacific Island countries. So it's really only the most acute patient who may present and stay alive until a team such as ours arrives to be able to benefit from a pacemaker operation. So um, patients can die from very slow heart rates, so they can't go on a, a waiting list and just hang around for a, a few years waiting for the operation. If you go in for just a short period of time, a week or so, is it? Yes. Does someone collect all the patients? What's happening there? The local teams screen and assess the patients and know when our team is turning up. So we, they're encouraged to find as many patients as possible who would benefit from a pacemaker. And then we attempt to implant as many as we can during our short time that we're operating for. So when you say the demand is undermet, and instead of making a, a visit, what? Is it two visits a year, I understand, for a week? Do you need to make yes. more visits into more places? Well, in Fiji, we have trained the local team so that they are able to independently operate on their own. So the plan is that they will be able to implant according to need instead of waiting for our team to arrive. 
and other areas? In other areas, in the other Pacific Islands, some of these patients, many of the patients just don't access this kind of treatment. If they are lucky to access their country's overseas referral scheme, they may be sent to New Zealand for an operation. But in fact, most patients don't receive the required treatment. With the work then of PIPS, that's a charity, who pays for it? Because it's expensive, presumably, this process. Yes, it is. So in regards to the work in Fiji, we're reliant on sponsors such as Fiji Airways, Suva Rotary. We get support from the Friends of Fiji Heart Foundation, which go in and do cardiac surgery. We've got local business support in Fiji, and we fundraise as much as we can in New Zealand to support these trips as well. How do you fundraise in New Zealand? We haven't been very active in our fundraising, but we are starting with our Auckland Marathon, getting sponsorship for team members participating in that event on the 29th of October. To make a donation to the Pacific Islands Pacemaker Service, head over to pips.org.nz slash donate. There's worry and concern among bar and nightclub owners in Fiji about their financial future as the government reviews proposed laws to curb operating times. Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka announced the review last month, citing concerns that nightclubs were becoming a hub for street brawls and public disorder. But club owners say that's just not true. They blame low police presence and poor enforcement against non-compliant clubs. Finau Funua spoke with NJ Jong, co-owner of Steps Investments Fiji Limited and popular Nandi nightclub White House. Do you think there's a misconception about nightclubs um, regarding the yes. violence? First, uh, in Fiji, there's a big misconception about nightclubs because everybody views nightclub as a whole but there's a difference, eh? There's a difference in the licensing that the board gives in Fiji. One is uh, bar, there's bars, there's taverns, and then there's nightclubs. Eh? There's a big difference. But in Fiji, all the different uh, license holders all operate like nightclubs. But what do you think? You think that uh, there should be a difference? They, they, like 70, 80% of uh, business owners of, of a bar, tavern, and nightclub, they operate like a nightclub, but they, they don't hold a license for it. And when you ask what's the main difference that stands out, one is the loud music. The next thing is uh, selling of food. The thing that goes after that is uh, dancing. eh? So these bar and tavern holders who operate like a nightclub, they are the big spoilers. Like in uh, my area in Nandi, there is like 16, 17 uh, of us that uh, operate at night. And there's only like, uh, like three or four that have the proper condition to be a nightclub but the rest I have the nightclub license or and they don't or they have the tavern license and they operate like a nightclub they play loud music they don't have the proper soundproofing uh, uh, compliance and they break most of them they're breaking their compliance that's why these complaints that come up see these complaints about loud music fighting violence it comes up because of the operators who do not uh, comply with uh, with uh, all the requirements yeah, to to start up their, their their business. It's just a common sense problem. I mean, seeing other people who run these uh, places, that's why problems come up. And could you um, describe your proposals for our audience? I, I read you were talking about incre- increasing our police presence. Uh, yes, pun- so pun- all the owners came together and said that in Nandi, I'm not sure about Suwa because we are based in Nandi, Mandy, the tourist town, we 
we need more police presence here. That's a number one concern that we all, even the other owners, agree on, that there needs to be more police presence. It's a, it's a must here. And you also mentioned uh, punishing bars and nightclubs that that have um not, not punishing but just just uh, enforcing yeah, the laws yeah, because most of them are breaking their the compliance that they're supposed to follow. Like the main thing that I always see is the sound. When you go uh, along uh, Nandi, you, you you would see this uh, very high amount. Even also, there's a lot that don't follow the compliance. And then they have the nightclub license. Because when we apply for the nightclub license, we need to be soundproof. We need to have the proper ventilations. But they they do not follow it. So the, this, uh, the, the main authorities that's in charge of this, I think they are, they are not doing their job. Either they are not doing their job or they are looking the other way when, when these people are breaking their... There is a, a strong support. Are you worried that this... Of course, yes. Yeah, we are very worried. And right now we employ around 30-plus uh, people, so if that were to happen, it would really affect us, yeah? And what is... How is this going to affect... If, if they start closing the nightclubs at midnight or at 1 a.m., how much is this going to affect your business? Um, when you're looking at it as a revenue side, we would look, uh, lose around uh, 60% of our of our earnings annually, monthly, even weekly. That's, that's, if you're looking at uh, how much it'll affect, that's the percentage. But there's a lot of club owners we're just starting out, and when they look at this, a significant drop in uh, business, they end up can't they close down. Yeah? <laughs> but there's not only nightclubs that are connected with uh, with uh, hours closing, and there's also the nightlife. Yeah? In Fiji, we have the barbecue stores. We have the 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 people that sell at night, like the ice. Uh, the distributors, even we have. There's a lot of businesses eh, connected, even the taxis, hotels. Do you think this would have a uh, an impact on Fiji's tourism? I think it would because we have uh, people coming to Fiji and enjoying our nightlife. So that's why I think it would. It would really affect our tourism. Uh, we we actually stand out eh, as a tourist uh, destination because one of the main things that people come to Fiji for is the nightlife that we have. Eh? Yeah, and uh, that's uh, that's that. What I can say is it's like our trump card when it comes to standing out from all the other tourist destinations. Eh? That's Pacific Ways for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. You can also download us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. So from myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far so far.